0: welcome to the podcast of new city church we hope this podcast inspires you on your journey of inward and outward transformation please join us on sundays you can find more information on our website grownewcity.church god bless you uh we have a rare opportunity right now and that rare opportunity is like it doesn't happen super often this is something that we really have to wake up for this is something we really have to like lean forward in there's a rare opportunity there's a short window. That's closing. There's a there's a very like precise moment that we're in right now, and that moment is called summer. So we gotta <laughs> we gotta live up our summer life right now because um, I don't know. For those of you who are in the northern hemisphere, at least you're experiencing summer, and for those of you who are in the upper Midwest, uh, there is not a lot of summer to enjoy. So it is important. That we go out and encounter God how we can while the getting's good. Um, uh, and this is the sermon series where we're gonna be examining that. I'm looking in the comments that says, There are more living beings in one teaspoon of living soil than there are human beings on the earth. Ah! Did you catch that? Like, there's so much life afoot in all of creation. And we have the opportunity as children of God who created us from soil to encounter the life that is there. Um, so, like, that is that is so, so important. And we have this rare opportunity called summer where we can spend extended periods of time outside in ways that we can't during the other secret season of winter. I love winter. Big fan. I'm not going to, like, do this whole, like, playing into winter's heart in Minnesota thing because I encounter God in the blizzard. Hallelujah. But there is something about the summer that that brings things to life, even if it is the hottest summer that we've encountered, like in all of recorded history, <laughs> like there is something about the greenness of life. There's something about the, the wind blowing through leaves and rustling us awake, reminding us what it means to be alive. And so this sermon series will go through three sections: tierra, aguas, and cielos. Um, the preaching team decided that uh, having these sections in Spanish would help us to kind of break out of some of our typical mindsets, uh, or I should say, some of the anglophonic, the the speaking, uh, the English-speaking folks in our congregation, to break out of the typical mindsets of environmentalism, because this is not your run of the mill environmentalist sermon series like the main call to action here will not be like that's why recycling bins are important you know or like like what are the other things that you typically think of in like environmental campaigns you know like this is why we don't litter or this is why we're gonna try to bike to work one day out of the year like all these things are important i'm all about recycling and recycling's cool cousin composting is like a pretty theologically important (laughs) part of my life, but this is not going to be the run of the mill environmental sermon series. And the reason why is because New City Church, for those of you who are streaming from other places, welcome, uh, our physical location is centered in Minneapolis. And there is some stuff that is happening in Minneapolis and the state of Minnesota, we'll definitely get to line three stuff for sure. um, That is like, it's a certain type of urgency. There's a certain type of like um, uh, uh, activation that is alive in our city right now. And I feel like uh, typically when we talk about environmental sermon series, there's kind of this, um, where it's kind of like the, like a, at best, the environment is like the cool aunt that you see who's like chill and like gives you good food or whatever and like maybe like takes you on a vacation. But the I think a lot of the ways that we talk about environmentalism is like you say, oh hi environment and then we have to go talk about the important things. And then we have to go talk about the urgent things, right like like we uh, uh, saw uprisings. And, and there wasn't a lot of people talking about like, oh, maybe we should, uh, uh, go smell some flowers, you know, like, like there's a certain type of, uh, we're getting into like neurobiology here, but like there's, there's some social justice things that happen that activate a fight or flight response. That's kind of like, I got to go right now. Like for those of you who are outside of Minneapolis last week, a black man named Winston Smith was murdered in the uptown neighborhood of south minneapolis say his name winston smith say his name winston smith like this is like important important and there's a certain type of activation that a lot of the circles that i'm in think of like the the planet as the cool aunt who's like yeah of course we're environmentalists of course we care about this but we have things that we have to focus on here and the environment will always just kind of like, you know, will it come along when it comes along. This sermon series will not be the environment is your cool aunt sermon series. I think we already have enough of that. This sermon series is going to be looking at the very most pressing things that our, uh, our current modern age is facing. And then look at how our relationship with the planet is not only related to that, but crucial for our healing from those things. Uh, and the reason why that is, is because all of nature is an altar at which you can meet God. All of nature is an altar at which you can meet God. And if nature is an altar where you can meet God, then perhaps we should be thinking about our deepest, most pressing issues that we are facing today today, and going to those altars to say, God, we need you. We need your Holy Spirit. We need your liberating love to be able to address these very things. Maybe the forests are down with Black Lives Matter. Maybe the oceans are ready for us to be able to get rid of war. Like maybe the environment is on our side in ways that we are not acknowledging. And by not acknowledging the planet, We are losing one of our most valuable allies in the struggle for justice. It begs the question, why are there gardens at George Floyd Square? Why are there planter gardens at George Floyd Square? For those of you who have uh, been to George Floyd Square, you can describe them. They're like, it's like wooden on four legs, standing planter gardens at George Floyd Square that are growing flowers. Why is it important that there are planters at George Floyd Square? After all, uh, tons of people bring cut flowers. There's also like tons of um, uh, stuffed animals there. There's framed poetry. Why is it that there are planters of living flowers at George Floyd Square? Why is it important That at the site of one of the most important international racial reckonings that has ever happened in the history of the United States, at that place, at that site, the activists who have been holding that space at great personal expense have decided to erect planters of living flowers. Can you tell me... Why there are planters of living flowers at one of the most important historic sites in all of our country. Can you tell me why it's important that there is life? I believe that the answer lies in Genesis 2. Because in Genesis 2, we meet a God who is not a distant and far away God, but a God who is among us. And that God reached down to the topsoil and lovingly uh, collected it and breathed in life so that we as human beings could exist. And the reason why planters are important as George Floyd is because we need to... uh, The whole thing about George Floyd Square is that it's not like a dead memorial. George Floyd Square isn't a museum. George Floyd Square isn't a tourist attraction or an amusement park. George Floyd Square is a living monument where people actively organize to insist on a different way for public safety and our life together. And at George Floyd Square, there is living proof of that in the planters. There are not just memorial flowers, but living The force of life, the stuff of life that is actively alive at George Floyd Square, even though it takes more work. The people of George Floyd Square thought it worthwhile to remind people that God, well, this is my theologizing about it, but that God is not dead, that the movement is not dead, and that uh, we are coming alive just as these planters are coming alive. We are made of the same energy and breath of life that those flowers are. And if those flowers at George Floyd Square can live, then that means that we can live too. It's reminding us that there is a possibility of life. Um, uh, In the comments it says, relatedly, there was a 38th Street Chicago Ave Street sign that the George Floyd Square organizer sent to Line 3 Treaty People's Gathering. Do you hear what's going on? The sign from George Floyd Square was sent to, like, northern Minnesota hours away to show that there is a solidarity between the police brutality conversations in South Minneapolis to the Line 3 organizing that is happening uh, in Native lands in North Minneapolis. Do you? <laughs> this is the stuff that doesn't get reported on a lot. Do you see the solidarity that is happening here, that that, that, that sign is saying you, historically the environmental movement and the uh, uh, movement against police brutality have not uh, historically been associated with each other. However, if we look back, if we, if we look not just at the immediate violence, but the mechanisms of violence that allowed domination of white supremacy to reign in this land then we start to see that those hands belong to the same person. And this is the argument of eco womanism, African-American women and earth honoring faith is a book by Melanie L. Harris, a scholar, uh, a Christian scholar, uh, African-American woman who is in conversation with many African-American theologians and scholars who have said, uh, black folks and the planet have always been associated together since the history of this country, and we're not just talking about plantation stuff here. We're talking about like subversiveness. We're talking about Native Americans and Black folks uh, sharing farming techniques in Florida. Uh, this was talked about in um, in a uh, in a uh, uh, reservation in Florida, like native or I should say tribal land in Florida. Uh, native American tribes and African American Uh, folks sharing farming techniques, enslaved people brought here uh, uh, through the brutality of the transatlantic slave trade, saying we know how life works. We know that life is persistent. We know that God is a God who provides. We know that the soil will take care of us. We know that the food that we eat is not simply about enjoyment as much as it is, but it's also about the continuation of our people. And that is why the earth is so subversive. Because the earth sees us through, the earth allows for the continuation of marginalized people. The earth provides in ways that the mechanisms of domination and evil and uh, and heterosexism and, and racism and white supremacy, uh, all, those powers don't want marginalized people to exist. And yet the earth continues to pour out all of her gifts to make sure that there is a guaranteed continuation of life the earth is so subversive in that way and what um Melanie Harris talks about is that there's a um there's a profound connection between the experience of black women and the earth that's what womanism means when i say eco-womanism uh womanism is like like feminism is you know like saying all genders are equal However, a lot of the feminist discourse was started and continued by uh, white women and so uh, womanism started as kind of like the, uh, the, uh, the addition of black women saying there are things that are particular in our experience that we really feel like we're not hearing represented in the broader discourse. Um, uh, and so, uh, yeah, there's, uh, there's so much uh, exper- overlapping experience between that of black women and the earth, she says because uh, Melanie L. Harris writes, the experience of a black woman in America is to be constantly objectified and exploited, to be seen as an object for pleasure, to be seen as disposable, to be seen as a, a mule, uh, to carry all the labor, as to be a dumping ground for all the unpleasant things in the world, to be the target of, of frustration and violence and anger. That's what it, uh, that's what the experience of being an African-American woman, Dr. Harris says. And what uh, she says by excavating or like, (laughs) not a great word, by rooting ourselves through that experience, African-American women can connect to the way that the earth is being treated and realize that the creepy hands that are objectifying and exploiting black women in this country are the same hands that are extracting and destroying the planet and the earth and everything uh, that the earth provides for. Do you see the type of solidarity that is happening here? Like this is so miles away from recycling bins. Like this is talking about like a solidarity that arises from marginalized people getting in touch with their own experience of oppression and then seeing that that same thing is being applied towards the earth, which, is an oppressed group. Like the earth is an oppressed people group. Um, And the reason why we talk about the earth at New City Church is because we care about centering marginalized voices. And the earth is one of the most marginalized voices in a Western capitalist extractive society. And the comms says, there's a cartoon of Jay the gardener sowing a plant that was uprooted. The top is wilted, but the gardener sees roots, strong roots, feel them, feel how tough they are. The roots are the heart of the plant. That's what everything else grows from. With good roots, you can recover from anything. And that's us, says Jay the Gardener from George Floyd Square. Woo! Okay, so this is... We're just getting into it, right? Like, this is, like... This is the kind of roots that we're trying to create. This is the type of movement that we want to create. And, of course, recycling bins are important. Of course, like, hiking trips and camping. Like, I'm a big proponent of all of that. But I want to just... Uh, argue that that connection to nature is important even for the people who are scared to step outside of their neighborhood because of how much violence is going on even for the children who aren't allowed to play outside because of what is going on in the street like this connection to the planet is something that is so fundamentally and profoundly part of the experience of marginalized people that like that we have to reclaim that because the, the ways of the empire is to uh, divide and conquer and to keep marginalized people from talking to each other to be able to uh, understand themes and to understand that our experience is not individualized, but systemic. And uh, and the ways of, of um, the empire in the conversation of the planet is to divide the planet from the conversations of all other types of oppression and somehow make environmentalism like this like cool extracurricular activity instead of seeing it as fundamental to who we are and how we are uh, instead of seeing it as uh, a not only some, uh, another marginalized voice that we can be in solidarity with but a source of healing and that's also where um, some of eco-womanism comes into play um, the planet, and God moving through the planet, connect, reconnects us to that which is alive, reconnects us to the God who looked at the topsoil and uh, from God's good will decided to create a whole bunch of different diverse plants and flowers and all those things. Uh, and, and said, I'm going to create plants that are for the healing of the system and just like I'm going to create people who can tend the plants. Uh, there are stories of connect Africans in route to slavery braiding seeds into their hair to literally keep the earth with them on slave ships. Yeah, I've heard this. Um, stories of, of people braiding rice into their hair so that they have food, right? Like this... <laughs> That's the kind of subversive um, relationship with the planet that we need to cultivate this summer, seeing that our continued survival depends on our relationship with the planet. And we're going to do that by looking at how we encounter God in the planet and how we encounter God in the cielos, in the heavens, and how we encounter God in los aguas, the waters. And my goal for you in this whole summer is for you to begin to see God in everything. That when you see that plant rising out of that sidewalk, cracking the sidewalk against all toxic odds, you can start to see God preaching to you through that plant. When you see a rainbow in the sky, the most beautiful thing given to all people for free, that our economic imagination might start shifting because of that rainbow. That when we we encounter, rain that it we might not just see that as like oh bummer now our plans are spoiled but see how happy the land is to receive that rain when we and when we hear about natural disasters which surely we will this summer to encounter God in that to encounter the prophetic message of what the earth is saying through us the Holy Spirit moves all over the place and our job as Christians is to set up altars around the world to encounter God and then to convene as a church to compare notes and see how we can continue this movement of the Holy Spirit. That's what church is for. That's our love training. Um, in the as someone who is organizing Minneapolis candidate forums on climate and environment, I could use a bit of that insight to not be considered irrelevant. Yeah, black eco-theology helps to keep things relevant, right? Like and and like I guess I'll just conclude with um one last story, um, you know, in this sermon series, we're going to talk about seeing God in everything, seeing God, which is a little bit of ableist language. Um, uh, seeing is more like a metaphor of, of encountering. Um, but I had a, when I was uh, traveling through the Middle East, I had a friend who was significantly vis- visually impaired. She lost like 97% of her sight uh, when she was a child. And, uh, and she insisted on going on hiking trips with me um, whenever we would go out in the Middle East. And so we would be going through, I mean, these are like, like middle, like rocky, sandy, uneven terrain, like not paved, like kind of hard things to navigate. And she would take me by the arm. And then whenever I would kind of flex up, that meant that we had to stop. And if we kept going, then that, that I just kept going. And we would walk together. And I, I'm kind of getting, like, some emotion there. Um, and we would hear the sounds of the waterfalls and the animals, and we would hear the, the sand underneath us and feel the strength of the rock. And at one point, uh, our friend circle kind of had this conversation where the question was kind of like, what do you get out, as someone who can't see, what do you get out of of all of this? And she said... Um, I can still see like colors and vague shapes and just to know that the world is this colorful is enough for me. I just, <laughs> I feel like that's where the revolution starts. Like if if you can go out into the world and just know that the color, how colorful our planet is, is the sermon of your redemption and your salvation, is the story of, uh, of how God is meeting us, is the story of Jesus' grace. Like, if, if you can get to know that color, then we're going to be in a really good spot. Amen? Let's journey together this summer. Yay! Amen!